Good morning, Hope College. I'm Nancy Smith, one of the chaplains here on staff. So good to see you this morning. In fact, I have two invitations. I would like to see you at a couple other places. This Friday night, we're gonna have men and women's night out. We already have 400 people signed up for this, but there's room for you. We want to be sure to have enough food, so if you grab your phones, do the QR code if you wanna come, it is definitely an event you will remember. It's a great time to connect, belong, we wanna encourage you in your faith. The other invitation would be to join a small group that's specifically for if you have questions about Christianity. So it's gonna to happen tomorrow, 11 a.m. at our campus ministry building. Come in and join on the conversation. We would love to share that with you. This morning, we're gonna continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Jesus's words. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And those that do murder will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then leave your gift there at the altar, go to your brother and sister, and be reconciled with them, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you're on the way to court with him, or he will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the jailer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God. Join in with me. Thanks be to God. Our passage this morning is Matthew 5, 21 through 25. And if you want to reach in uh, the pew in uh, the Bible that's right in front of you. It is on page 786. We're gonna look at a couple other passages. Or if you wanna look at it on your phone, that's great too. Jesus was gathered with his disciples on the mountainside and began his teaching with a reflection of the law. The crowd was familiar with the teachings of Moses. He was building on what the crowd knew and abided by. He, remem he reminded them, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. If you have your Bible still open, look at verse 17. It says from Jesus, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus was acknowledging the important teachings of the law. We can picture the disciples and perhaps all of us sitting around listening to Jesus. Maybe he would be, we would be nodding our heads easily, agreeing and thinking we would never do that murder. Taking a person's life, of course that would equal harsh judgment. But the willingness of looking into our heart and examining our anger, that's a challenge. How is anger on the same level as murder? Well, Jesus was drawing a comparison of the lethal effects of both murder and anger. He stated that both are liable to judgment, and that is a strong statement. Jesus was getting to the deeper matter of the heart where anger starts. Let's look further into the passage. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. It's not just what we do, but it affects um, our community. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus cares about our heart. 
and was teaching the disciples that speech is powerful and it has consequences. The teachings of Jesus always penetrate to the heart of our being. We do hurt with our words and we are hurt by words. The book that is filled with wisdom, Proverbs, addresses this, death and life are the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. God knows our tendencies and leaning towards anger is a part of something that we can struggle with. That is what I love about scripture and you may think that's crazy, but I love that we have a God that knows us and he knows that we struggle. We are humans, we're filled with emotions and emotions aren't really right or wrong, it's what we do with those emotions. It is so natural to be angry that it starts when we're young. We can see toddlers express anger and get angry. And as adults, we have relationships that have conflict, hurt, and disappointments that are caused by anger. So how do we navigate through these relationships and live a life of obedience as a disciple of Christ? If we're going to live a wise life, we need to understand anger and handle it in ourselves and with others. Scripture has some good advice. I always go to Scripture because God knows us and he really gives us encouragement. We're not the first people to struggle with anger. Whatever point or season you are in your life, God offers you guidance and encouragement to be people that are filled with love instead of anger. God has filled the Scriptures with encouragement about this subject. Whenever we read something in Scripture that has instructions to not do something, It is a positive reminder that we have a God that knows us. He knows us when we struggle. We have natural tendencies that can go towards things that can be very destructive. He's well aware of our weakness. He wants to enter into that and walk alongside us. Proverbs 14, 29 talks about that. It says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but one who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So if you're a person that that erupts with anger, you're not the only one. And if you're one that maybe can hold it in, that is something that is still a struggle too. We can internalize and then often it seeps out. Our anger often affects and it does affect our community. Well, the disciples heard Jesus' teachings and taught it to the community of believers. In James, we can find the, the teaching about anger. He suggests being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. When we listen to people and hear their story, it is helpful so that we do not become quick to anger. Continuing on in that passage, James states that nothing about anger brings about the righteousness of God. Paul encouraged the believers in Ephesians 4 to get rid of all anger. Deal with it quickly right away. It has no place with us. We can't be trusted on holding on to anger. We're encouraged to be on the watch regarding our anger. Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Again, it spills out. We need the encouragement of others to live into the grace that God offers, remembering what he has given to us. He has forgiven us. 
He has given the, the grace to extend others. I think that can help us to drop our anger. Otherwise, if we let anger rest and brew, it can sprout and develop roots of bitterness. This summer, I read a book. It was called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. Well, this is the second time I read the book, and it may indicate that it's a really great book. And I would agree, I would highly recommend it. But it was one I kept, um, I, I would pick up and I was drawn to because if I turned on the radio, if I listened to something on the news, it was so easy to start getting angry. And that was not something that God wanted me to rest on. So listen to what Brant Hansen has to say on the subject. We should forfeit our right to be offended. That means forfeiting our right to hold on to anger. When we do this, we'll be making a sacrifice that's very pleasing to God. It strikes at our very pride. It forces us not to think about humility, but to actually be humble. Forfeiting our right to anger makes us deny ourselves, makes us others-centered. And when we start living this way, it changes everything. Actually, it's not even forfeiting a right, because the right doesn't exist as a Christian. We're told to forgive, and that means anger has to go. Jesus was calling his disciples to move into living a life that demonstrates loving God and loving others. Jesus leveled the playing field. It was his death and resurrection that offered us forgiveness from sin. He who is sinless came to bring grace, mercy, and forgiveness to us. And we, in turn, can forgive and give that to, to others. We are encouraged if we look in verses 23 and 24. It is the practice of reconciliation. Well, Jesus is describing the worship life of, our, of, of believers. Our relationship with God affects our relationship with others. The vertical relationship spills out into our horizontal relationships. So when we come to church, it's not just for us. It is so it affects our life. We can live in a different way. There are times in our life that God's Holy Spirit, he speaks to us. He speaks through scripture. He speaks to people. He speaks while we're sitting right here. And when we gather at the table, we do this on Sunday night at the gathering, we'd love to invite you to that too. Or for you at your church on a Sunday morning, we gather around the table and we reflect on the death and resurrection of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us to go and be reconciled. We have the privilege to be courageous, humble, and be reconciled. The teachings of Christ are not for us to reach human goodness. It is the outpouring of Christ's redemption that brings us to live a life for Christ, to proclaim the gospel. That is the goal. Personal holiness is brought out of Christ's redemption, not our works or the proper deeds, not at all. So are you seeing the connection? It is the outside actions. It's not the outside actions that should be the driving force. Let me tie it back to the beginning. Jesus went to the mountainside. He was drawing his disciples into the deep matters of the heart. We can have all the lists, do not murder, do not be angry, do not insult. It's not the list that determine our righteousness. It is Christ's redemption. Christ's redemptive work is the essence of Christianity. Then we go and we live and we can live reconciled lives. Go in peace.